Welcome to The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists, examining timely psychological trends and excellence in clinical practice. I'm Dr. Samuel Lustgarten. Today, I'm talking with Dr. Wei Chao Xu, a licensed psychologist practicing in a college mental health center. Unique for the field, she is one of the few bilingual psychologists practicing in English and Mandarin. Wei Chao practices, supervises, and consults at the University of Wisconsin-Madison's University Health Services. She is also the membership officer for the Taiwan Psychology Network and has six years of clinical experience delivering bilingual services. Wei Chao, thank you so much for being here with us today and welcome to the program. Thank you for having us, Sam. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I wanna, I wanna start with a big, broad concept that I've, I've noticed over the years. When I entered into graduate school, the climate of the, the public institution that I was at, there was a lot of talk about state budget cuts. You know, like public institutions had lost tax revenue and funding for their higher learning and a greater share of the cost, the financial burden um, that's associated with going to college or university was falling on individual students and, and perhaps their families as well, or their support systems. And all the while, many of those institutions seem to be finding ways to balance their budgets or increase their revenue in other ways too. And there was a big push all of a sudden to recruit and find both out of state and international students who could pay higher tuition rates. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes these, especially at public institutions, these were quite different, significant differences in the tuition rates that they were paying. And, and so what, what I noticed when I entered in graduate school was this push was already afoot. We were already seeing like a big influx in out-of-state and international students to try and fill these revenue and budgetary gaps. Mm -hmm. But at the same point, there seemed to be few resources that were in place to support those that were now suddenly coming. Mm -hmm. And, you know, support could look like writing labs, language development, mm -hmm. but important for our conversation today, Wei Chao, and why I'm so excited to be talking with you about this today was mm -hmm. that it didn't seem like there were many bilingual services or services in their preferred language or their first language. Mm -hmm. So, so given that students are admitted into predominantly English speaking programs in the States when they come here, why would a student need counseling services in a language other than English? Yeah, I, I think when we think about how to support students to um, succeed in their study internationally, specifically here um, in the English dominant kind of environment, um, we, we want to think about how do we support students academically and how do we support them psychologically? How do we support their well-being? And a lot of the times there's um, the, the, the pressure of having to use their non-dominant non language in a study setting that's and, and study for something 
that's new and learn something um, that's pretty advanced um, in, in college settings, um, that's already a big pressure. Um, when it comes to um, working, when it comes to mental health, uh, there's research that's found that indicates that being able to use their mother tongue or the language that the clients have chosen um, would actually help them more engaged in the therapeutic process. Um, that also takes that pressure off um, from the students, from the clients, that they have to um, use a language that they're not familiar with to sometimes maybe explore something about themselves that they have not previously be familiar with. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think what I'm picking up on in what you're saying too, is like, there is a friction sometimes, even if we can find the words, but there's sometimes a friction in speaking in a non-dominant language or a second language mm-hmm. that that may be relieved in the process of being able to engage in a first language. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I don't want to sort of overgeneralize to imply that everyone uh, whose first language is not English mm-hmm. would need to pursue um, counseling services mm-hmm. in their mother tongue. It, it all comes down to personal preference. Um, from my clinical experience working with those students who chose um, to use Mandarin Chinese, that's the language um, they, that I, prov- uh, uh, language that I provide um, in ser- my service in. Um, yeah, the, really the, the, the reason why they chose to speak with a Mandarin speaking provider is for that reason, that they feel mm-hmm. more comfortable um, exploring mental health concerns in mm-hmm. the language that they're familiar with. I wonder, I wonder if the process is different in any way, really, uh, but I'm, I'm curious for a student that says, I would prefer services in Spanish or provides uh, services in Mandarin, offered services. Um, how do they find their way to you? Uh-huh. Um, particularly, I, I guess I can only speak to my experience in mm-hmm. the, in the work um, in, in this institution, institution that I'm working at. Um, so I know, um, mm, mental health services, which is where I, I worked at, um, they did a very good job in promoting, reaching out to student organizations, um, um, promoting the, I guess, the, the existence of me. Um, mm-hmm. After I was hired, there was a, a great effort that's been done um, for from our center um, to put the words out there. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm fortunate because the center that I'm, I'm work at, I'm working at, has a very robust outreach program. And so the idea mm-hmm. really is for um, staff, mental health providers, to also build connections with campus partners, so different mm-hmm. services, and so really get the words out there. And um, on our website, um, I recorded. 
videos, both in mm. English and Mandarin, oh. um, to kind of introduce myself so that mm -hmm. when students are um, looking up for providers, they can um, find me on our website. Mm -hmm. um, um, I also made an effort to attend um, outreach events when there mm -hmm. is a request. So I, I really try to make myself visible to right. campus partners. Um, a lot of times students may not uh, voluntarily, you know, to look, to think about seeking mental health services, mm -hmm. especially for international students. And so it's mm -hmm. really helpful if um, academic advisors, uh, campus uh, staff know mm -hmm. about me. It's a whole, yeah, it's a wholesale effort. Everybody's got a little bit of a part in helping people know that you're there. Yeah, yeah. In, in the beginning, it, it relies a lot on these promotion effort and more and more because I've been in the center for four years. This is my fifth year, actually, mm -hmm. now and started to notice the students um, come to know about the service I provide by word of mouth. Mm hmm. So this is like other students that might Encourage share with another other student. Exactly. Hey, you ought to, and, and there are services in Mandarin at the University of Mental Health Services. Yeah, yeah, got yeah. It. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So I've got, I, I've got a, maybe a strange question, okay. How many, uh, how many bilingual providers are there in Mandarin and English there where you are, just as a, as okay. a, uh -huh. a small sample? Yeah, so um, I, I am currently the only Mandarin speaking provider in my agency. Previously, we had two Spanish speaking providers, um, but since COVID life changes um, have brought those colleagues away, but recently mm -hmm. we um, hired another Spanish speaking provider and we're actively um, recruiting more. Mm -hmm. um, so, but, but so far there's just one Mandarin speaking person, one Spanish speaking person. Okay. Okay. So you become, I'm, I'm guessing really, really important for, for these centers and, and both for the institution, but also for the students. There's something that it, it, it makes me think about though, within my own private, private practice, mm -hmm. I make a point of saying to, to every prospective client. I'm not the perfect fit for everybody. It's about deciding for you and in our process, collaborating to see if this could potentially be a good fit. Basically, I'm giving clients right at the outset permission to both push back and say, hey, Sam, I don't know if this is going to work. I really want them to be able to have that empowered voice too. Yep. And, yep. and I want them to be able to find a good fit because we know from our research, like that makes more effective care, make, makes more likely that they're going to make progress. Yeah. So what happens if a, a student who does need or, or prefers uh, to speak in their native tongue, as you say, or, or mm -hmm. Mandarin, doesn't feel like a good fit with you? What, what happens then? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I am too, actually, um, always be very clear with students and actually our, our coworkers as well. 
to make it really clear that just because we speak the same language doesn't naturally makes us a good match um, in working together. Uh, the referral process um, in our center is such that students would talk to um, a, an access provider. This is a, a specialist who would talk to students for 20 to 30 minutes, understand, understand their concern and to see if they have a preference for um, providers. And, and right. you know, when it comes to preference, that could be language preference, identity preferences. So I made it really clear to these specialists to say, we're not going to assume that because right. students is from a Mandarin speaking country that they automatically should see Wei Chao. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But we wanted to think about where, what brought the students in. Right. And, and, and yes, there has been times when we have to make that very challenging decision I have, I certainly have experience with students who come in presenting with a concerns that's not my area of um, expertise. Mm -hmm. I identify myself as a generalist, um, but I've certainly have been, have had students who presents with eating disorders, mm -hmm. um, concerns with more severe OCD symptoms, but they request to see me because they also feel more comfortable. Um, right, right. Uh, seeing a provider who speaks Mandarin. Mm -hmm. And so my approach in those um, cases would be, I would be really, really transparent with the students in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, and I would, I would let them know that um, I'm happy to work with them maybe for a period of time Mm -hmm. um, and maybe my job, I see my role in those cases to be kind of familiarize, help them get comfortable with the therapeutic process, um, with the experience of counseling, mm -hmm. and perhaps provide some basic psychoeducation right. about what they may be experiencing. Mm -hmm. and, and then I also, and I share that treatment plan with students you know, we could work together for a while, I could help you with some part of your concerns. And then maybe eventually, um, we want to help you to connect with someone else. Um, it, uh, expertise, who, who have the expertise treating your concerns. And so mm -hmm. I think language is a good tool of communication. And when students, um, are willing to connect, that's very important. And I, I would mm -hmm. take that opportunity to connect with them. Right. And then collaboratively, we, through some psychoeducation, um, wanted to really help them uh, connect with the appropriate person. Right. I, I think that's really helpful for me as I hear you talk through it, that it doesn't sound like such an all or nothing kind of concept. Mm -hmm. Like they either definitely everyone is going to go to see Wei Chao. No, that's not necessarily the case. But even when you do work with folks, there might be some presenting concerns that are in need of additional support or additional care with other providers. Mm -hmm. And that you're working, it sounds like within your center and your services to, to work together and collaborate mm -hmm. both with the client and other providers. I think that's pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I want to shift gears here and, and talk a little bit about what it takes to become a, a bilingual psychologist. Because uh-huh. I'm thinking back to my, my program again in six years from, I think, start to the finishing of that PhD. And throughout the, that time, there were all sorts of trainings, you know, practicum and consultation uh-huh. groups and individual supervision, group supervision, mm-hmm. heavy doses of didactics. Mm-hmm. All of it was in English. Every step of the way. Yeah. And I'm so curious, what did, what did your journey look like? Yeah, that's such a great question. And, um, you showed me the, 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 these questions before. And so I was reflecting on, yeah, what my, my journey was. Um, I, I did complete my, I was born and raised in Taiwan. So I did my undergrad, um, degree in Taiwan in a related field. So it's in special education. So, and, and for that, we also had to take some, you know, psychology 101 type of intro developmental psychology type of courses. And I didn't think about this until, you know, today for this podcast, um, I think that background information of the concept, some foundational knowledge of mm-hmm. psychology, mm-hmm. Um, maybe some ideas of who, who um, those big names, mm-hmm. what are some theories in psychology field, having those kind of basic knowledge really helped me um, to have some basic confidence when I came to the U.S. study study um, for my master's and, and later later on doctoral degree in counseling psychology, and of course through my training there wasn't any kind of official training that taught me how to provide bilingual services. Mm-hmm. Um, the my becoming of a bilingual therapist is really stemmed from um, opportunity to do practicum and mm-hmm. internships in uh, uh, places, mental health um, centers where there are other Mandarin speaking providers mm-hmm. who serve as my um, consultant um, and, and, and colleagues. And I, I kind of learn from there. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to, I, I have never um, received any formal um, supervision mm-hmm. for the service, for Mandarin speaking services. Um, right. So the, the way I learned how to do this is really by reaching out to colleagues who also speak Mandarin in mm-hmm. my internship and practicum sites mm-hmm. and, and also join um, uh, academic kind of uh, associations such as Taiwanese um, Psychology Network to mm-hmm. connect with other colleagues. You've really had to there. seek out that community mm-hmm. and that support. That that's what I'm picking up. Like you've had to be really intentional about finding. Yeah, that's network that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Given what you're saying about you know constantly going through graduate school and, and not having at least built in supervision in Mandarin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
did you ever work with clients that were speaking Mandarin at that time? And did that mean that you were kind of like translating or interpreting what was happening for your supervisor? I guess I'm just thinking to myself, gosh, I, I wonder if that's a burden on you as a trainee to have to almost educate both culturally Mm-hmm. and linguistically to your supervisor. And I'm curious if you ever had experiences like that, or what mm-hmm. they were like. Yeah, that's a very, that's also a very good question. I, and I actually talked about this with um, my other colleagues um, who weren't working at uh, mental health services where I work at. Um, and we exchange our um, experiences in my personal experience, uh, no, I have not had any uh, supervisors that speak Mandarin. However, by the time I was providing Mandarin speak or seeing Mandarin speaking clients, I had it. It was already I was already in my second year or third year in, in into my PhD training. Okay. So as a clinician. Um, I think I am at a place where I'm an advanced intern, if you will. So an advanced kind of clinician in training. So I think I had a pretty good idea of, in terms of case conceptualization, assessment, intervention, treatment planning. So I think with that framework in communicating with my supervisor, it's then more about how do I present my case conceptualization and ask questions in terms of the therapeutic process. Even if I work with an English speaking clients, for me, everything is translation, right? right. right? Um, if I have to report something, present something in English that this is my fourth language. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in my own process, I think this is translating um, but when in, in the process of supervision, I think I use that as case consultation. And, and, but, but you're right. Sometimes um, I do have to explain some cultural context. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes if I have specific linguistic usage metaphors that I use, I wasn't able to. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I may elect not to spend too much time on it with my right. supervisor who doesn't right. speak Mandarin. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Just reflecting on how few opportunities seem to exist for, for that kind of intimate shared language supervision yeah. or, or a program that fosters it. Mm-hmm. I know in preparation for our talk today, our episode, uh, there are a handful a, a small group of programs that I think offer a, a bilingual education for future psychologists. Mm-hmm. And they tend to be in Spanish and English. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they offer kind of like a track that you choose into and you could choose to be in the English only or the English predominant education or specialize if you will, or enter into a track that is mm-hmm. offering Spanish in addition to that English speaking mm-hmm. services. Mm-hmm. So in, in preparation though, again, for this episode, I didn't, I don't think I found one that was in Mandarin in English. And that's pretty shocking to me given the demand and the need that we've been talking about even from the beginning of our episode. 
Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, but mm -hmm. then I, I think you, I definitely, I, I think you made a good point um, of asking that question. So how do people get training? Mm -hmm. um, how do we equip our clinician um, right. to, how do we train Mandarin speaking clinicians who mm -hmm. provide um Mandarin services. And, and I think it actually has to do maybe with the resources and even the um, location mm -hmm. where people work. Mm -hmm. I certainly know that um, my friend, who's also a psychologist, who works in Chicago, or um, another friend who works in Denver, Mm -hmm. um, they had the opportunity to train trainees and practicum students. Mm -hmm. So they themselves used to have Mandarin speaking supervisors um, at the agencies. They apply their, they, they, they completed their internship at. And then, you know, they receive the baton mm -hmm. and go on and train uh, more trainees. Um, but then you get this, I guess then you get this trajectory of people who are hoping to become Mandarin speaking providers. They only they may only apply for internships or um, practicum opportunities in places or in cities where mm -hmm. there are perhaps larger Mandarin speaking population. And so um, people like myself or providers who are wishing to practice in the Midwest mm -hmm. um, state here, we, we do have to think about how do we um, develop that competency? Mm -hmm. And yeah. yeah, how do I recruit trainees mm -hmm. who are willing to come working, work with me and um, mm -hmm. learn with me? Yeah. Yeah. It feels like a very similar process or, or maybe a future that is analogous to how you build that network on campus too. having campus partners and going to those meetings and being invited to things. And mm -hmm. it feels like that, that shared process of people need to know that you're available, that you're that's there, that, that that's even an option at, at the university right. of Wisconsin medicine. Right, so right. yeah, I really appreciate you highlighting that, yeah. you know, for the, Last part of our talk today, mm -hmm. I want to segue a little bit to the clinical application of bilingual skills too. Mm -hmm. It's a constant part of our episodes together at the, you know, the, the clinical consult. We're always looking to distill it down into how this can impact care and those that we serve. And so given that you work with students, I'm, I'm thinking a lot about the cross-cultural and multilingual nature of your practice mm -hmm. and wondering, does this impact the care clients receive? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think I, it, it, it does. The, the, the ability to be able to um, use two or more than one languages in, in session, mm -hmm. I, I think it, it really makes the, 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 the process the therapeutic process uh, more creative and mm -hmm. flexible a lot of the times. Mm -hmm. So I work with Mandarin speaking students. I also work with English speaking students. Mm -hmm. And um, I do adjust 
sort of my intervention um, based on maybe some cultural differences. Um, and, but what I've found is sometimes when I work with Mandarin speaking students, even them um, would engage in these sort of what we call a cult switching, mm. switching process. We're, maybe mm. we're talking in Chinese primarily, and then suddenly there would be some kind of expression that's being used um, in English. Mm-hmm. Um, just given that we are both in the English speaking culture and there we learn things too. And so, sure. so there's that. Um, and sometimes when I work with English speaking clients, I may draw, um, if indicated, something from um, the Chinese language mm-hmm. to make a point. Uh, to uh, explain explain a certain concept, mm-hmm. and and as students um, seem pretty receptive to to that, and I think it just really broadened the v- variety of the tools that we could use um, in in treatment, mm-hmm. um, especially Chinese language is such a I think it's a I'm biased. Um, it's a beautiful language. Um, mm. I, I think it's very interesting because the written form is very visual sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see a word, um, you don't have to say it. If you see it, you may uh, experience something. It, it, sure. it indicate an experience. And, and for example, one of the words, sometimes I even show um, uh, English speaking students or explain it is the, the word of depression. Mm. And so that word in Chinese, it has so many strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it looks really complex. Sometimes mm-hmm. I even forgot how to write it because it's mm-hmm. very complicated. And so, you know, it, it, it depicts the experience of when we're feeling wow. depressed it's so normal, like even in Chinese people's written form, it shows there's something about your heart and there's something about so many strokes there. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to kind of implement that and be able to, I guess, play around. Yeah. Um, to be creative in, mm-hmm. in, in treatment. Um, I think that's really, that has been really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes me think about the analogies and the allegories that I might share, the, the stories or the, the concepts that might be culturally bound or informed. And what I hear you saying is you've got more to pull from and, and more to share as well for, for clients that are going through their own processes. Wei Chao, I just want to backtrack a little bit there. Earlier, you mentioned a term code switching. And Mm -hmm. for our audience, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. Okay. What does that mean, code switching? Ah, yeah, that's a very good question. And so basically to, to, to explain it really briefly, that just means um, we're using one language to communicate. Now you and I are speaking in English Mm -hmm. and if I co-switch, that would mean that I switch to another language to communicate with you. Mm-hmm. And so 
what it will look like in a clinical setting when I'm working with a Mandarin speaking client, it would look like we were talking in Mandarin and suddenly maybe my client um, code switch, switch to mm -hmm. use English to explain something about their mm -hmm. um, experience um, or their thought process. And that, that actually does happen a lot. And mm -hmm. um, I've had clients who become aware of that and they even were surprised themselves. Mm -hmm. They're like, why am I talking to you in English? Wow. wow. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just because it's a predominantly Mandarin speaking session, I don't expect it to be a hundred percent in in Mandarin. And I think that's the that's the beauty and that's the art, if you will, um, about mm -hmm. bilingual services. The, the last question that I want to sort of end on for today has to do with interventions as well. Whether we're providing CBT or DBT or ACT or interpersonal psychotherapy, right. I'm curious if there are any changes that you're finding yourself making as you are working across languages. Right. Um, I don't know if I make changes. Um, I think certainly adaptation um, um, I find myself trying to look for a lot of the times drawing more on commonalities than mm -hmm. differences. And so I would think about, okay, what am I seeing here? What are some components of, of certain treatment modality that's applicable? based on what I know about the culture, based on what I know about the student. Right, right. Um, and so I, I draw a lot of different kind of treatment uh, modalities. Um, I've started to learn more about um, body-based type of approach. And so mm -hmm. sometimes language doesn't have to be that main or only tool sure. in, in treatment. And so to, to answer your question, I think a lot of the times the, the, the framework may stay the same, mm -hmm. um, but how do I introduce that to uh, my clients? Mm -hmm. That shift, that changes based on clients prefer language use, right. um, client backgrounds, um, and their need. Wei mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. thank you for, for sharing so much of your, your experience, your lived experience, but also your, your expertise with us today. It means so much to, to be able to talk to you about you know, your process, going through it, both your education, but also um, what it looks like day to day nowadays, now that you're there and working and a licensed psychologist, you're one of a select few in the United States that do this work, especially in Mandarin and in English. And it's such a privilege to be able to talk with you today. So thank you for taking the time. I'm very grateful for um, your interest in this area and um, giving me this opportunity to kind of share my experience.
Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The last thing I'll say before I wrap up for today is just that if you all as listeners are interested in learning more about bilingual services and some of the opportunities and challenges, I highly recommend you take a peek at some of the scholarly work uh, from authors out of Our Lady of the Lake, which is in San Antonio, Texas. They have done some fantastic work, especially looking at Spanish and English bilingualism. Uh, incredible authors and, and research that's being done from that institution. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Dr. Samuel Lesgarten, and this has been The Clinical Consult, a podcast from the National Register of Health Service Psychologists. As a reminder, all episodes provide general information for discussion purposes only and don't serve as formal clinical advice or continuing education. Mm-hmm.